Welcome, welcome to the TF1 Podcast. This is your host, Trey. This is the Australian GP Review. Let's go. So we have another exciting and uh, really eventful race weekend here in Australia. So as always, before getting into... Uh, this race that had um, everything from, you know, amazing starts to chaotic red flags. It just this race had everything we can imagine and even more than we imagined. So as always, before getting into the race, uh, I always cover qualifying for you guys because it was a really exciting qualifying on Saturday. So we had Max Verstappen who qualified first. And then in such an exciting fashion between Q2 and Q3, we can see that Mercedes's pace was uh, really, really fantastic in qualifying. So it ended up being where uh, Russell qualified for Mercedes second and you had Hamilton qualifying third. So this is, you can say, one of the first races where we see um, in in a few weeks' time, how Mercedes is now really learning to transform the car that it has and its setup. Now, keep in mind, there has been no upgrades that Mercedes has brought yet. So that was a fantastic feat. And one of the bigger stories was, uh, you know, the other Red Bull, you know, and uh, how Perez, he had... As he said after the race, an issue with his brakes is what he said. So he was not able to qualify right up there next to his teammates. So that was a little bit um, drama-filled as far as qualifying just on Saturday regarding Perez and Red Bull um, and the, the comments that Christian Horner was making. So you can say that kind of set up Sunday's race, but, uh, you know, when he gave interviews, this is Perez, he was really adamant that there was a mechanical issue um, that caused him to go off the track. And of course, he couldn't uh, set up a competitive time. Now, Christian Horner in interviews was, you know, the best way I can explain it was very diplomatic. But if you really know Christian Horner and if you read between the lines, it was almost as if Horner was implying that, hey, we did check the car. I don't know if this is necessarily a mechanical issue, but he didn't come out and say that. He more said, you know, we're just going to have to look at the data and see if there's anything um, that, you know, when we examine the car that we can fix for Sunday. So ever so the diplomat, but. You know, it wasn't exactly a resounding um, support for your second driver. So that set up Sunday for us. And just knowing how the Mercedes are up front, you have Alonso with the Austin Martin, who's really close by. And you didn't know how the Ferraris were going to do. So it was a really spicy grid. So on Sunday, once the race um starts you know of course with australia being what it is and the time difference of for most of us whether you're in the united states or europe of course you had to stay up for this race unless you opted you know to watch a recording or something later on so it was an ex interesting experience staying up but just as the race resumes 
uh, Mercedes, especially in the hands of Russell and even Hamilton, had a fantastic getaway. So uh, Max actually did not have a good getaway and the Mercedes were able to overtake him and actually lead the race. Um, just the pace of the start and the reaction time of both Russell and Hamilton was very impressive. And so you can, I mean, we all knew, of course, what type of, you know, uh, pace that the Red Bull has. So one has to assume that, you know, at a certain point, you knew that Max and that Red Bull were going to come up. Now, Perez, of course, was starting way down uh, the order. So, you know, he had to make up a lot of uh, places to come up. But both the Mercedes had a very um, fast and lightning start. So, like I said, you can already tell that, you know, in Australia, the Mercedes pace and, you know, how they've turned things around has been really impressive. But so as the race was going on, you have the usual movement. Um, you see the McLarens um, making some headway. Perez, of course, is, you know, he has superior, you know, pace than the cars around him. So he's starting to make some headway as well. But what happens is um, the focus, one of the big controversies, of course, af after the race for all of us who've watched it is, you know, the the red flags from the FI and the decision making that has been, you know, kind of the main topic of contention after this race. So we'll examine each one. But the first one was triggered by Albon uh, with his Williams. And it's a shame because. You know, Albon for Williams was having one of his best weekends. I mean, he was starting from sixth. I mean, you would not expect this Williams that, you know, uh, of all the talk that, you know, they may not have the best package at the beginning of the season. Albon had one of his best showings, not just for the season, but for Williams in general in starting from six. So he made a huge mistake and he slid to the, and when he slid off the racetrack, um, his car brought a lot of debris and a lot of gravel back on the track. So at that moment, you see an FIA decision to go ahead and, uh, you know, bring out the, the flag, the red flag. Now for, a lot of drivers, there was a lot of debate because some people, some teams and drivers felt, could could this not be handled with a virtual car, you know, or a, excuse me, a virtual safety car or a safety car. And I'm just, you know, looking back and um, kind of viewing it for me, I'm a little bit divided because. I think it could possibly have been a safety car, but the issue was if you look back at the track again, there was quite a bit of debris. So do you want to err on the side of safety, especially with the marshals being out? Uh, to me, that's kind of 50-50. So, you know, I know some people and some drivers were not happy with that decision, but I can understand it because at the end of the day, you know, that's how you ensure um all the debris was cleaned up, all right? So you have that happen, and then during that course of time, uh, Mercedes really smartly with their uh, decision-making, they went ahead and they switched the tires for Russell and put him on hards. And 
you know, you thought, okay, that is fast thinking. And there was, you know, other teams as well that took advantage. Now, once the race resumed and, you know, it was going on, it's not too far after that. Then you have Kevin Magnuson who had a crash at the exit of turn two. So at that point, and again, here comes the other point of contention for the race the FIA decides that they're, instead of doing a safety card, that was made a red flag as well. So, you know, that kind of threw teams off and it was a really unfortunate blow for somebody like Russell because now, you know, the teams that, like him, that had made the decision to go ahead and switch their tires now their race is flipped upside down he lost it really screwed him up and you know kind of took his advantage away so now that dropped him to seventh but people like hamilton and other drivers i, I believe uh, max may have been one of them in the red bull but there was a flurry of cars almost every car in the grid took that advantage during that red flag and they all changed their tires so it was unfortunate that, you know, that just really backfired on Russell's um, race. And there's nothing you could do because you could never predict, a, you know, another red flag or when it's going to happen. The team w with Mercedes had done a very good, you know, decision with getting him in and getting him out. But unfortunately, like I said, that second red flag affected him. So you had that transformation going on. And as, you know, the race is re uh, resuming, one of the things you could see is um, Ferrari. Let's talk about Ferrari. Ferrari had another mixed weekend yet again because you had Charles Leclerc literally um, in, in lap one. Um, he was in the gravel and unable to continue the race. So right from the beginning, Ferrari's bad luck strikes again. Now, Carlos Sainz, in, on the other hand, was having one of the best races he's had. He was working his way up. Um, he, you know, he started from 11th and he was carving and making some really, really good moves. So he was moving up the order. Uh, the McLaren drivers, both the McLaren drivers, um, Unlike the, the first two races we've had where they've either had mechanical issues or they've had really bad luck with the contact they made with Piastri at, at the lap one, those both those drivers, and of course, keep in mind for Piastri, this is a home race for him because he's from Australia. Both of them are making very good gains. So they're doing good and the Alpine drivers are also solid as well and of course we're going to come to an unfortunate ending for both the alpine drivers which i'll cover a little bit later on so as that is happening you know as i said when the kevin magnuson crash happened a lot of the drivers were surprised that it's going to be a red flag going back to that so once that happened um you know and the the surprise happened and the grid was you know, back to being reformed again. And when the restart happened, you know, and now, you know, we're of course jumping towards kind of the end of the race. Now the final part of the race, 
that restart just basically brings about absolute chaos, okay? So at that restart that happened, you have now signs who goes ahead and hits Alonzo. And then you had Ocon and Gasly, this is at turn two, they hit each other and go into the wall, which, I mean, you never, ever want to see two drivers taking each other out. And that could have been, you know, that is the worst case scenario. And I got to take you by, uh, take you guys back to one of the fears with Gasly and um, with Gasly and Ocon being teammates. If you guys remember back to episode one and the pairing of these two, the questions they've always received is, you know, they have not been the best of friends and they've had issues in the past. Is that going to manifest itself on the racetrack when these two race? That's always been the question coming back to this season when it was announced they were paired with each other. So for something like this to happen towards the end of the race, this was, you know, just really disappointing for both drivers and for Alpine. Now, what makes it even more crucial is for, for those of you that are not aware, Gasly, from uh, points deductions that he's had, as you guys know, when you cause a crash or some incident happens, um, you get you get penalty points on your license. And if these penalty points get to a certain level, you are now approaching a race ban. And, you know, the, the penalty points carry over from the previous year. So they have, uh, I believe it's a 12, if I'm not mistaken, it's either eight or 12 month expiration that they have, unless you add on top of that tally. So Gasly coming in the season is very uncomfortably close. He's actually two points away from getting a race ban. So when this situation happened where he's now had a crash with his own teammate, and of course he had to go and see the FIA, um, that was, you know, could have been very, very scary for him because if he indeed gets the two penalty points, that's now going to trigger a race ban for him. He, so he's, he's very uncomfortably close to that line. So that happened between the two drivers. So it, it ended up being um, a really negative day for the Alpine team. And as I mentioned, now here's the other controversy of the race. As I told you guys, Carl, Carlos Sainz was having a really fantastic race. He moved his way up from 11th. He was approaching actually um, maybe even looking to see for the fourth or third position. Obviously, he did not have the pace of the Mercedes car or, or the Aston Martin which was Alonso, who was in third, but he was really threatening to do that. And once the race finished, boy, you really heard a very impassioned um, message from Sainz. He was in his car um, as as the final race, uh, as, excuse me, the final lap was, and his race engineer was, was telling him that they have a five-second penalty. And you just heard a very impassioned sign saying, no, this, this can't be, this is not possible. 
I have to personally go and talk to the stewards. Um, I don't know why they're giving me a five second penalty. You know, he was saying there was a lot of points for the team that was, you know, to be gained. He, he was just very um, emotional and he was insisting to his race engineer, hey, please allow me to personally go um, and, and speak to the race steward. So we just um, heard a very impassioned side from signs. And um, interestingly, actually, after the race, even in the media pen, when uh, he was being asked questions, um, Carlos Sainz basically said, listen, I, I do apologize, but I, I'm, I'm so upset I can't even respond to you guys' question right now. He said, I'll, I'll answer questions after I talk to the stewards and the FIA, but um, I'm, not, I'm not answering any questions now. So... That was, um, that was, you know, the kind of the event at the end, the grid reform brought out a third red flag. So essentially, when you had that chaos attend, now there was a, a third red flag that happened. And of course, people like Hamilton and Alonso, who worked so hard during the race, they had to, again, fight and battle in order to keep their positions. So this has kind of taken a central, this has been a central topic of this race after it ended, you know, whether the FIA was correct in, in taking those red flags. Okay. Now where I fall on this, just examining everything is, you know, I do believe, um, I do believe that safety is paramount. Now, has the FIA been inconsistent? Yes. I mean, I've I've been saying that for years. A lot of fans have been saying that, and a lot of drivers have been saying that, and a lot of people in F1. So we definitely see inconsistency. But at the same time, just looking at the first and second red flags, I can absolutely see the reason why um, the red flags were necessary. Now, for the for the first red flag of Williams Albon, could could one maybe possibly say that instead of red flagging it, you could have brought uh, a safety car? I could possibly see that. I, I would give that fifty fifty. I can possibly see that. But um, the Kevin Magnuson one that was a little bit dodgy as well, um, as far as if that deserved a red flag. But like I said, a lot of drivers were surprised that brought a red flag. So I think that one maybe deserved a safety car rather than a red flag. But overall, I think one thing that I've I've tried to remind myself, and I think you know, for all the fans, for all of us, the thing that we have to keep in mind is yes, I I believe that the FI can do a better job. Um, as far as consistency, I, I definitely think they can do that. But also in this case, they erred on the side of safety. And it's one thing for us after the race or Sunday evening or Monday um, to comment whether it's right or not. You know, it's kind of easy to do that when you have all the evidence you've, you've seen, the video clips and, and moves. It's a whole different story when you have to make that decision um, during the race or right immediately after the race. So I think it's always prudent that we keep that in the back of our mind, right? So those are, you know, kind of my feelings as far as
those controversial red flags that triggered a lot of things. Um, I do want to, just speaking of the race, cover a couple of things. And I mentioned this earlier, the, the McLaren drivers, both of them, Lando and Piastri, had a very solid race. As I said to you guys, they scored, you know, points and that's a that's a good relief for McLaren because they haven't been able to do that. Another person I wanted to mention to you guys was Nicole Hulkenberg. He had a very strong steady race, unlike his teammate Kevin Magnuson. You know, Nicole Hulkenberg has just been such a, a just a positive impact for the Haas team. You you know that he's a very experienced driver and I remember saying to you guys, this is going to be a really good hiring for Haas because he's a very strong driver that has a long list of experiences. And he finally had a race where, you know, his abilities helped to get them points. So that was definitely a positive. Um, you have to also mention just, you know, Red Bull and Max. Let me just briefly talk about that. This weekend for Max wasn't the strongest of weekends. If you really look from qualifying, if you look at the race, Max actually had not one poor getaway, but he had two poor getaways on two restarts. And so it's telling of how uh, superior, at least right now in this in the season, how superior this Red Bull RB19 is that you know he was able to fight his way back and and like I said right at the beginning of the podcast we all knew even when he was overtaken by the two mercedes which I'll 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 you know cover a little bit in depth um he still was able to come back like when he made the overtake against uh Hamilton on the DRS when his DRS slot opened on the on on the front um excuse me, on the straight, it was just like, I mean, you can't even defend against that. That's the level of performance deficit they have when the DRS slot opens on that RB19. The advantage that car generates with the DRS, and I know other teams and possibly uh, F1 is looking at that, but it is just it's almost like a rocket ship mode and you know i mean you can't defend against it that that's how big the advantage was so they were able and max was able to utilize that but this wasn't the the cleanest of weekends for him and like i said he had two poor getaways now perez uh fought his way back from from the back to he you know uh came back and finished the race in fifth so that just underlines how strong that package is for you. But, you know, it's still not a good sign for Perez because now he's definitely behind his teammate and the driver points. I believe there's now a 15-point gap because of the low uh, finish and, of course, the low qualifying that Perez had. So... Yeah, we just have to see the trend and how this continues. If you remember, of course, there was tension in the last race. Now, on Saturday, the comments from Horner and Perez kind of were not in sync. We'll just have to see how that goes. So, that's them. I quickly want to touch on, and I, I mentioned this at the beginning, 
Mercedes, you know, it was a tale of two two worlds because I mentioned Hamilton and how uh, he finally finished second, which was a fantastic result on the podium. Of course, Max finished first, and we know Alonso rounded out the top three for Austin Martin. Yet another very solid performance for those guys. But Russell, who had a fantastic weekend, I mean, he drove impeccable, just like Hamilton did. But, you know, um, Russell yet again out-qualified Hamilton. This is for a third time. And he had a rare mechanical issue, Russell did. And he had, we can see, fire from the engine. And that caused a DNF. And I was just really... I hated to see that because, you know, one for one, it's very rare to see a mechanical issue on a Mercedes. So that is something that uh, I'm sure they'll get fixed. But it, it, it's such a blow to what a fantastic weekend Russell had, the way he qualified with Hamilton and the overtake. I mean, you know, the Red Bull is a far, at least at this point in the season, is far superior machine than the Mercedes. But the fact that both Mercedes, especially Russell, was able to overtake, maintain his position, and so did Hamilton. You know, that is, um, it was just a shame to see that Russell had a DNF. But you have to say, the turnaround we're seeing immediately from Mercedes. If you guys remember, it's not even four weeks ago in Bahrain that the the team and, and their leader, Total Wolf, the tone they had was just so, you know, until we bring the new concept out on this new car, we don't know where we're going to finish. It was just a, a really worrying negative vibe. And we're not even four weeks removed, like I said, and you can see uh, this car, this Mercedes car, what they've done to optimize, you know, the the setup. I mean, for them on merit to out-qualify the Austin Martins, to out-qualify Ferrari, their pace was extremely strong. Um, in fact, one of the things Alonso said after the race is he tried everything in his power um, he was actually on the radio with his team as well. He tried everything in his power to force Hamilton to make a mistake. And he said he simply could not get close to the Mercedes. So that's telling you, even at race three, Mercedes has now kind of taken uh, the the baton. And pace-wise, they may be now the closest team th to Red Bull uh, because... It's very close between Austin Martin's pace and Mercedes, but it looks like Ferrari has now, at least for this track, well, you know, we're going to see if maybe Ferrari brings improvements and what happens if at a different track Ferrari gets faster. But right now, the, the team that, you know, gave trouble to Red Bull, at least in different sections, of course, we know the Red Bull's far superior, but that was Mercedes. So, it's unfortunate uh, that Russell had a DNF, but you have to really give kudos to Mercedes. Uh, it, it's a testament to this team how fast they're making the transformation and how their car looked. Uh, both drivers, especially Hamilton, obviously Russell was really disappointed at the end of the race, but I have not seen Hamilton this upbeat, this happy. Um, 
it's the first time this season, even after qualifying, he was, you can visibly tell when Hamilton is happy with the car. And of course you can visibly tell when he's not happy with the car. Um, so his body language, um, he just enjoyed the car. You can tell both drivers are really starting to enjoy driving this car. So that's fantastic. Um, just briefly mentioning other teams as well from the race. Obviously, I talked about the science penalty. Um, they interestingly talked to Alonzo after the race. Of course, he was the one who was hit by signs. And even Alonzo actually said that he thought the penalty was harsh. So, yeah, for me, with the FIA, I think um, they were a little bit possibly harsh on that because that hit happened on a restart. And when it's a restart, you should have a little bit of flexibility towards the drivers. So um, I hope the FI can look at that. But I, I did think that that was a little bit harsh. OK, another um, driver that I wanted to mention is Botas in the Alfa Romeo. Um, Botas has absolutely had a miserable start uh, to this F1 year. Um, he was again, the slowest driver. This is for second time, um, on, in the whole field, uh, Gon Jayu, his, his teammate is actually outperforming him. He, his teammate who's inexperienced compared to Botas only his second year in F1, um, is actually doing better. And he's looking like the lead, you know, a driver in that team. So, that's something to watch out. Yeah, Botas is really, really struggling right now. And unless he turns it around in the next upcoming races, um, I'll be honest with you guys. I, you know, I I, I really like Botas um, and I hope he turns it around. You know, I the, people have been uh, fans, of course, like him. He has the new mullet, the new look, and, you know, he had a lot of fans in Australia. All that is fine, but at the end of the day, you're defined by your driving, and Botas is really struggling right now. So I hope he's able to turn it around, but, um, yeah, we're just going to have to see about that. And, and the final thing, and I touched on this earlier, that I just wanted to touch on before we conclude this analysis of the Australian GP review is Ferrari, um, just in general, as a team looking at the mistake that Leclerc did, like I said, science had a real good recovery drive. And, you know, I really don't know personally, like I said to you guys a few seconds ago, I think the penalty on science was a little bit harsh. I know uh, Ferrari have protested that. I don't know if we have, if we've gotten a final answer on if that penalty is going to stick or not, but they're having a tough time, guys. Um, the performance of the car has fallen. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, with Fred Vasseur taking over as a leader, um, you know, it seems like now people are questioning, you know, was the former leader Bernardo being let go was that a necessary action because we see Ferrari struggling again it, it may not necessarily be with strategy but there's still miscommunication it looks like there's a little bit of mistrust with the drivers um i you know we're just going to have to see it's still early in the season it's still three races but um it just seems like you know especially pace-wise, 
between the advances that now Mercedes are making, and they're making them extremely, extremely faster than most of us thought. Again, keep in mind, their update for their car has not even come yet. And the driver pairing that Mercedes has, which I would argue is second to none, better than any team on the grid, Ferrari have a very tall order because you look at what Austin Martin and Alonso are doing, they're solidly... Um, probably neck and neck with Mercedes right behind Red Bull, and they're going to make improvements too. So I know it's early on, but let's see how this season plays out, okay? Well, that concludes the Australian GP. Review, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening from whatever part of the globe you're in. Uh, if you need more information, please feel free to check out the Twitter page for the TF1 podcast. And as I said to you guys, we also have a YouTube channel that is going to come up and become live. All right. Take care. Bye bye.